Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Um, we're continuing in our series of generosity. Um, today, um, I don't know if um, we ever very specifically talked about tithings and tithes and offerings. Um, it's always a sensitive topic. I know sometimes... Like, we hear the word tithing, and then it's like flashbacks on all these other messages and things that, you know, experiences that we've had. Uh, but next week, I'm also going to be talking about time and, um, and talents. And so tithing, um, today we're going to be focusing on, yes, the financial aspect of it, money. And we're going to see what Scripture, Old Testament, Jesus, and Apostle Paul has to say. But um, something that struck me um, recently in the season of prepping these sermons was some of us might be very comfortable tithing 10% of our finances but tithing 10% of our time is not even a thought. <laughs> That's way more painful <laughs> than looking at our bank account and saying, what's 10% of this? Um, if we were to break down per week, how many hours? 10%? So we're going to be unpacking that. So I'm going to try to set the primer for us to understand the context of tithing um, and offerings. But let me just open up a word of prayer before we dive into this. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for... Um, this space, we thank you for this weather and this community um, as we're entering into um, the holidays of Thanksgiving. Um, may we just continually be grateful for the blessings that you poured into our lives, um, for what we have, what you have provided for us, and how you've cared for us, um, and how you see, know, and love us. And God, as we spend this time talking about um, our abundant heart and your abundant heart of generosity and sacrifice, May we align one another and be able to fulfill the calling of the kingdom together. We thank you so much for what you have given us, what you have provided for us, and may we just learn to be generous as you have been to us as a good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just want to open up um, because I want to kind of lay out some of the framework for us. Um, My intention and I really, my my hope is that today that you'll hear the heart um, more than just the the methodology behind it. Uh, my goal by the end of the sermon, by amen, isn't, okay, 10%, I'm gonna start giving. Um, I'm gonna actually kind of unpack a little bit of that, but today I just wanna be able to first um, recognize and to appreciate um, the generosity of so many people over the years at Hope Brooklyn. Um, at the end of the day, we are, we're a church, but there's, there's bills to pay, <laughs> there's things that we need to financially be able to purchase, to be able to make all this happen. Um, and it's really been done through the generosity of so many people over the past six years. Um, some of you have been from day one, some of you recently, um, and sometimes we, when we started, we had partner organizations that sowed generously into our church, um, with grants and funding of different partnerships. And so all of this really is made possible through the generosity, not just financially, but the time and talent that people have poured into Hope Brooklyn saying, you know what, this is the church that I want to see um, fulfill God's mission and kingdom. I want other people to experience the, the wonderful encounters that I had here at this church. Um, and so we definitely appreciate all of you. And just for you to know, Hope Brooklyn as a church, we're a fully self-sufficient church at this point. Um, if you remember many years ago, if, if you were here with us, um, we had a campaign called Moving Out of Our Parents' Basement. <laughs> which meant after year three, all the grants and funding kind of dried up. <laughs> and we were left to be like, okay, we need to pay for our own bills, our own bed sheets, and our own groceries. Um, and so that campaign launched, and we, man, 
the genero financial generosity that occurred was just a miracle. It was just a tremendous outpour and overflow. And so we as a church are a self-sufficient organization, um, and we are cont continually working towards financial health, like many churches and many places in the city after the pandemic, um, kind of getting into that place of financial health. And um, I didn't realize how big of a inf piece of information it was, but I just want to reiterate last week, I'm preaching this sermon, and I'm going to be diving into more of the biblical context of this, but um, practically, myself as a pastor, I don't see who the financial contributors are. I don't see who they are, and I don't see how much everyone gives. And that's, that's the reason, um, not that I came up with, but a pa another pastor in the city really kind of shared his reasoning why, and it made sense to me. Um, and so my relationship with anybody in this space isn't dictated by the financial generosity. It's not, the needle doesn't move because someone gives more or gives less or gives at all. Um, my, my relationship with everyone in this church is just as a pastor. And so those are just some fun facts I just wanted to kind of put out there. But really getting into first, firstly, what is a tithe? And if you're a guest here, you might be thinking like, okay, well, first Sunday here, he's talking about tithing already. Um, just come a couple more weeks with us, please. Um, but tithing, um, it, it's, it's interesting because some of the council members, I might get some emails from the council members after this. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a, there's a lot of context in Leviticus and Deuteronomy on how to give agriculturally out of your first. There, there was a call, because in Leviticus, there was an understanding in 27, Leviticus 27, that all that we own belongs to God. Everything that we have today belongs to God. And I know sometimes it's a hard mentality because many of us have worked very hard to get where we are. we're at, the hustle and grind of New Yorkers, all right? Um, I was just in Nashville talking with other pastors about the rent here, and it was like, they just couldn't comprehend how we're surviving as a church, okay? <laughs> or how we even have any church members, okay? Um, it's it, it, all the hustle and grind, but also we need to realize that there's been some fortunate opportunities for us to be able to have the blessings that we have today. Um, there's been doors that have been opened, there's been blessings in the skies, or even the family of origin that we're born in. Um, I know council last time shared a lot of their upbringing on their relationship with finances reflective of their families. And so for, even for me, I know that I'm in this position because of some um, generous people, but also a generous God. And so in the Old Testament, there's been this understanding that everything belongs to God. And so what God was asking as a, as a, as a, as a trust, as a gesture of faith was, hey, 10% of the increase of what you have produced to offer it to God as the first fruits. And so that, that's kind of like where a lot of the, the premise for that 10% that number came from. Because um, everyone always says, well, Jesus never says 10%, right? Um, we're going to get to that. Apostle Paul never says 10%. Um, I'll just state that in the New Testament, if you look in Acts, it's everything. It's 110%, okay? It's not just the 10%. But if, if you want to get to the nitty-gritty of it, you're absolutely right. 10% is not law, okay? It doesn't, because we give or less or more of 10%, that number does not dictate our spiritual faith. What it does, though, is it's a good starting place because through the, at the act of tithing, there's a spiritual act of saying that I trust and have faith that God is going to provide, Okay, and then in that 10%, and some of us, we might need to start with 1%, right? Some of us might start with 2%.
But whatever that actual number is, I don't want us to focus on the number. I don't want us to be looking at our bank accounts right now, taking out the calculators, you know, like trying to do math. That's not my goal for today. My my goal is to understand the heart behind this because here's here's the ironic thing. More and more as I read through the New Testament, Jesus is actually speaking counterintuitive to those who actually give the 10%, right? So here in Luke chapter 11, 37 to 42, I love this passage for many reasons. First, Jesus, this is like one of the harshest passages that Jesus has against the Pharisees. He is laying down the law against these Pharisees. Um, and so to understand the contextual idea of the Pharisees, they were religious leaders, but they weren't the religious leaders. Um, they were the Sadducees who kind of um, upheld the law just to a T. But then underneath, these Pharisees would go around adding these verbal laws and commands around, these, around the Torah. And asking people from, and honestly, the Pharisees weren't even that large of a crowd. I know we read the New Testament, we're like, man, they were everywhere, okay? There's probably like 6,000 of them that existed. And the way you can think of it is kind of as lay leaders, okay? Lay ministers, kind of just like, hey, we're just offering our time. We, we enjoy this ministry. But what they were doing was they were creating all these restrictions surrounding salvation. They were creating all these restrictions on who can enter into this relationship with God but yet they wanted to hold all the high seats. And so interesting thing enough, interesting enough in verse 37, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisees were was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And so I love this passage because the Pharisees are actually inviting Jesus to a meal, okay? Um, and a lot of people say that Jesus was crucified because of what he said around the dinner table. He's invited to this meal, and the first thing he does is he kind of disturbs their, their mindset. He, co- he completely disrupts their ceremonial practices and does not wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, man, imagine you had a dinner guest and they just like they start slamming you about all the things that you're doing wrong. Um, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And here's, here's the first kind of the, the woe to you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of gardens and herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So Jesus does talk about tithing here. He recognizes that these Pharisees are tithing 10%. They're giving. And, and this is the ironic thing. Just because we give 10% does not mean we're clean or that we're holier. The Pharisees were upholding the law, but they were doing, they were doing it in a way that was neglecting the, the poor, the broken, the lost. They were, they were doing their religious act, their religious duty. And so if we're sitting here saying, well, I give 10%, so this, pers- this sermon is not for me. No, Pharisees were giving the 10%, and Jesus is examining their heart and their intention. Yes, you can give 10%. You could give generously. You give 20%. But at the same time, if you're not taking care of your neighbors who are in need, if you're not feeding the hungry, it's like you are neglecting it. It says you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And so Jesus, you know, like, if Jesus was any just normal religious leader, he's like, well... I'm not going to bother them because they're, they're financially contributing <laughs> to, the, to the temple. They're, financial, they're making their contributions. They're, they're, ben, they're helping. 
Jesus was so much more concerned about the heart. When we see Jesus talk about wealth and money, Jesus is not anti-wealth, anti-money. He's anti-greed. He's examining the selfishness of our nature and the covetous nature of our hearts. And so why are we talking about this today? Why are we talking about tithes and offerings? And to differentiate between tithes and offerings, tithing is um, an example or model set for us to be able to say, God, we give you the first. I'm setting a percentage. 10% is a great place to begin. But I understand living in the city, sometimes that's not possible. I get it. Once again, I'm not going after a number. I, I, I am talking about the heart here. Whatever percentage you, you determine that is between you and God, because also Paul in Corinthians, um, and I preached about this a couple of months ago, he actually says, I'm not commanding you to give. He's like, I don't want that. <laughs> he actually says, you know the generous grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that his, in his poverty we could make you rich. Paul's not commanding to give or to tithe, but he's like, why don't we test the genuine nature of our hearts? And so here we see that. Because when we tithe, it's an interesting thing that happens. It's actually, it's a test of our faith. Can we trust God with this amount? Can we trust God with this percentage set before? Before we plan our plans, can we say, can we set this apart and trust God to take care of the rest? Now, I don't think Jesus is telling us to practice um, unwise financial habits. I don't think he's saying, hey, take out all the credit cards you need, just put it in debt, let tomorrow worry about itself. No, I think what Jesus here, as he's approaching the Pharisees and he's talking to them at this dinner table, he's, he's, he's approaching the heart and he's saying, hey, what if, what if in our spiritual lives, we trust a God and instead of asking God for more, we ask God to increase our faith to give more. What if today we begin at 1% and saying, God, 1% of my finances, I trust you with that. Listen, the widow's offering was good enough for Jesus as he saw the temple treasury. But maybe our prayer is, God, can you increase my faith? 2%, 5%. It's not easy. But here in Matthew 6, 19, 34, because here's the dynamic. Sometimes it's hard to trust God in those spaces because we're afraid. It's hard to trust God in those spaces because maybe we don't, deep down, we don't believe that he'll deliver on his promises. Maybe there's a part of us that we, when we dissect and take everything apart, apart in the foundation of it, we don't trust that Jesus will take care of us. And I know I've been in those places many times. I grew up in a family that, you know, my mom was working three jobs, we, you know, we had to really pick and choose what we needed and what we wanted. I had to go through growing up the embarrassment of my friends having all these things and me not being able to have that to be able to either connect or to be able to be in that space with one another to have that conversation. I just had to understand that early on. But here in Matthew 6, 1934, I love the connection of these two passages. First, it begins to say, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Um, this passage could not be, did not, was not very real to me until, you know, I don't know, living in New York City by now, if you've been pickpocketed, if you've been robbed, <laughs> you got something stolen, someone broke into a place. Um, I've experienced all of the above. I've, growing up in high school, I just learned, okay, keep 20 in my wallet, keep the rest in my sock, all right? I gotta give them something or they're gonna be upset, okay? And so like, that was like my mentality growing up. And I would be at a point where I would be walking down the street, I see a group of people and I mentally already know, I have my hand in my wallet, I'm like, all right, what do you want, okay? But also, um, there's a time where I actually went on a overseas trip um, and naive as I was, I don't know, maybe I was just tired from the flight, I decided I'm gonna leave all my stuff in the van. Okay, we're gonna go eat, van's in sight, I'm just gonna leave it there, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Um, I don't even do that in New York, by the way, okay? <laughs> and so it'll be fine. And as we're eating, we realized, oh, it's very sunny in here. And then eventually, oh, those, those shades are nice. <laughs> we finished eating, we went out to the van, broke it into, and we realized, oh, that made sense. They're taking the blinds down to make sure that we couldn't see what was going on outside. Um, and our team got there, passports, credit cards, um, my laptop, like, everything we came off the flight essentially was gone. Luckily, no one took my passport because it was in my jacket and it was a warmer country, so I kind of just left that there. But I remember just feeling this rage <laughs> and this anger and all the Psalms of David asking to strike down his enemies. I just recited them one by one. I skipped all the other lamenting parts of grace and love. I was just like, God, you know my enemies. You know where they are, right? Like, I was just praying all those prayers. Um, and I just remember that anger. I'm like, God, I'm here to serve you in this foreign country. I'm giving up my time. Okay, someone had to sponsor this flight for me because I couldn't even afford it. And, and just everything gone. And over time, this passage became very true because I began to realize that, man, I felt like all my treasures were in that bag. I felt like everything, was, I was storing up all that stuff in there. And I realized my attachment to those things. Um, I don't know if it was the, the actual physical product or just the injustice of being robbed like that, but I just remember being angry. And I was angry because I felt like something, a part of me was being taken away and robbed. I, I remember that laptop of how hard I had to save up to buy that laptop. Right? I had a t-shirt that was, it was, my, it was like my favorite t-shirt to wear on flights. That was taken, right? Like all these little things. It was a book bag that I had. So all the sentiment, everything was just taken. And I felt like a part of me was being robbed. And eventually over time, just the grace of Jesus reminding me. It's like, but what did they really take? What did they really take from you? And he just began to just remind me of his grace and salvation. That there's, there's, there's a sacrifice that Jesus has made that no one on this earth can ever physically rob me of. That it is protected, that it is safe. And so Jesus gives this warning, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And it continues on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So, God, so Jesus here is continually teaching this duality, right? And then verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He kind of just gets down to the nitty gritty of it. You cannot serve both masters. 
And once again, Jesus is not attacking or anti-wealth, but he understands that the, the, the stronghold and power and influence that money has in our culture and our world. That, the money, that money makes the world go around. That money it determines, our, our bank account determines our impact and our influence and our importance. You know, in New York City, you can see this contrast as just as you walk across the street. You can see it in the apartment buildings. You can see it as you open up Street Easy. <laughs> Who lives, that's my number one question. Who lives in these apartments all the time? As I walk around Greenpoint, Williamsburg, I'm like, who, you know, strolling around our baby, I'm like, who lives in these apartments, right? And then we see, see, see all the parents walking out in their strollers. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? Like, this, we realize that money has so much influence on status and impact. We think that sometimes we cannot accomplish a job or a task or we can't be generous because we're, we're lacking. But here, Jesus is not simply attacking the amount. He's saying, hey, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a connection and relationship that we hold with money. And so you cannot serve both. But immediately after he talks about money, he talks about do not worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying add a single hour to your life? I mean, I look at New York City, I'm like, how are all these pigeons and rats being taken care of? They are just overpopulating, and no one is taking care of them, <laughs> okay? Um, I get it. <laughs> I get what Jesus is saying. He's like, look at the person. New York City is a little bit different, but we, we recognize that Jesus is saying, like, do not worry. And there's a, there's, a, there's a thing that Tim Keller once said. He says, God looks at the anxious and says, I tore my son to shreds for you, and you're afraid I will not give you what you need. That, put, that framed everything into perspective for me. A, a father who did not withhold his son gave everything, not to just walk peacefully, but to go through what he did. What else can he not take care of us for? And you're afraid I will not give you what you need. The beauty of generosity here, especially as Jesus is not concerned about the money, but he's concerned about selfishness and misplaced value. The beauty and the power of generosity. When we have a community that is committed to one another in offerings and tithes, as sharing our wealth and possessions, we dismantle and dispel the power of money that holds in this world. There's an um, apologist by um, Minicius Felix, and he only has one work, recognized work. He was an apologist, a Latin apologist, um, and he only has one work um, called Octavius. And Octavius was his friend, and it's interesting reading these works because if you ever just read the transcript, you'd be like, these people hate each other. But they're actually good friends. <laughs> but they would go into public spaces and just have these wild discourses. And like the language that they like say to one another, I'm like, I wouldn't even say that to my enemies, right? Like they're just saying all these like, you know, inflammatory things to one, one, towards one another, but they're friends. And I'm like, man, what a beautiful place to have discourse and argument and still be good friends. 
right? And anyway, in this writing, it's not a book, but it's a, it's a, it's a recorded dialogue of them in the public space, right? Having this discourse. And I'm just gonna read bits and pieces and break down bits and pieces of it. But Octavius, um, who is a pagan, charges this against Felix. He says, behold, a portion of you, and as you declared, a larger and better portion. So he's saying the portion by you Christians, the good Christians, the faithful Christians, right? Your heroes are in want, they are cold and laboring in hard work and hunger, and God suffers it. He feigns. He either is not willing or not able to assist his people, and thus he is either weak or inequitable. I'm like, that is fair. I just had that conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Where is that God who is able to help you when you come to life again, since he cannot help you while you are in this life? And I love this part. Do not the Romans, without any help from your God, govern, reign, and have the enjoyment of the whole world and have dominion over you? Saying these Romans, you're saying your God is the true God, the most powerful God, but these Romans are living a better life than you. How many of you ever felt that way? Like as a Christian, I'm like, God, I follow you. But all these pagans, right? all these people who are evil, right, and deceitful and corrupt, they hold all the power and wealth. God, shouldn't you be honoring the faithful? <laughs> shouldn't we in this room who worship you hold the power and influence in this city? I'm like, that's a very fair argument. <laughs> and here's his response. But that many of us are called poor, that is not our disgrace, but our glory. <sighs> For as our mind is relaxed by luxury, so it is strengthened by frugality. And yet, who can be poor if he does not want, if he does not crave for the possessions of others, if he is rich towards God? He rather is poor who, although he has much, desires more. Yet I'll be speaking according as I feel. No one can be poor, so poor as he is born. Sorry, I think I took that part out. Yes, no, we're good. And day by day the cattle are fed, and yet these creatures are born for us, all of which things, if we do not lust after, we possess. Therefore, as he, he who treads a road is the happier, the lighter he walks, so happier is he in this journey of life, who lifts himself along in poverty and does not breathe heavily under the burden of riches. And here's the part I love. And yet... Even if we thought wealth useful to us, we should ask it of God. Assuredly, he might be able to indulge us in some measure. Who's in the whole? But we would rather despise riches than possess them. He has completely dismantled the power and influence of money. He's like, we don't need it. What do you offer to someone that is, that is content and not in need? Apostle Paul sitting in the prison, in, in dungeons in Philippians for preaching the gospel, he begins to preach to the whole prison guard, <laughs> the whole palace. If I'm one of those guards, I'm like, Paul, you know why you're here, right? <laughs> you know what you're in prison for. He's like, yeah, I'm good though. I'm content. I'm just gonna keep preaching the faithfulness of God. In this discourse, he absolutely dismantles because you see the contrast. One thinks money and power, the Roman government, holds a weight and influence and impact in this world. But the Christian who is poor, 
who cares for the sick, the broken, the dying, the lost, the marginalized. They're the ones that hold power. The kingdom is a reverse mentality. Our riches are not here but in heaven. That first line, but that many of us are, all, are called poor. That is not our disgrace but our glory. When we experience, as Janice and Janelle talked about, the freedom to be able to be generous and to bless others, that is the power and the movement of the Christian church. To be able to say that this number, this bank account, this statement does not define who I am. My riches and wealth does not define who I am. My poverty does not define who I am. My identity and my father defines who I am. And I know I have a father. And I love what Felix says. If I ask, he'll give it to me. (laughs) He'll take care of me. All that I need, all that I want, he'll take care of me. But why should I even ask for things that I don't desire? Imagine breaking the curse of coveting the things of this world and desiring more of Jesus. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team and the communion ushers up. When we're able to practice things like tithes and offerings... There's a spiritual act that happens where greed and greed begins to be killed in our hearts. When we're able to practice the generosity and the hand of generosity towards others, we're able to see the, the heart that is so covetous being set free. Imagine just not desiring the things that everyone else desires. I covet that. <laughs> I cover the people that like, look at the things that the world pr- um, promotes and influences and says, this is what you need. I'm like, I don't need that. I don't even have a hint of desire for that. I'd rather give my time, my talents to God. That recognition that everyone so much that is fighting for that platform, I don't need that. I want to spend my time and energy with the poor and marginalized For me, I, have, I, I, I battle because I know for many of us, maybe we've seen or we've been hurt by churches and church leaders that have abused money and wealth in a way to elevate their platform and their lifestyle. I'm not here to judge or criticize, but I'm just telling you know that I wrestle with that. I wrestle seeing that. And I'm like, man, just, just, if your church just t- ties 10% to us, we're good. <laughs> we're good for like the next 10 years. <laughs> And as, as I've seen and witnessed churches and leaders abuse money and finances, it hardens my heart. And that, that's why for us, you know, we, I love our council, I love our team here, because every conversation is about transparency and vulnerability. To have integrity. And things like me not looking at the giving statements it's not because I'm holy, it's because I want to protect my heart. <laughs> I know the impact and influence that money could have. And I don't want it to corrupt my heart. And so in Acts, I do things like that, but also I give. I practice it. I'm, I haven't perfected it, I practice it. Because I want my heart to continually be free from the demands of this world and say, God, 
work and move through me. That all that I have is yours. It's all on borrowed time. And I'll close with one thing as, um, before we take communion. Um, every year, there's a group or people that say, God is coming. It's the end of the world. All right? You go to Times Square any day of the year, you'll find somebody. All right? It's today. I'm like, well, you were wrong last year. All right? Come back again in two months. And then it, the day passes like, oh, I, I misread these signs. All right? But the one thing that baffles my mind is if you truly believe Jesus is coming tomorrow, why do you own anything? If you believe that Jesus is arriving tomorrow and put, it's like put your money where your mouth is, why do you own, why do you still have a bank statement? Why do you still have a mortgage? Like why do you still own a car? Give. If you believe the world is ending tomorrow and Jesus is coming, restoring all things, give to the poor, feed the hungry. Give all of yourselves. And then spiritually, I begin to contextualize that to me. I'm like, God, if I truly believe that you are coming one day and that there's a greater place, greater treasures for me, how will I spend myself for others? See, generosity makes us aware of others. It turns our heart outward focused. And Hope Brooklyn, something that I definitely want to confess and repent of is Looking at our, our statements or like our budget and our spending, it seems very internal. But I want us to make an effort to begin look, having our budget reflect for those outside. That it's not just to maintain this building and this culture, but that the impact that Hope Brooklyn has here is to partner with the ministry that God is doing out there. And that's, what, that's the church I want us to be. And if you're considering things like tithing and offering, uh, the, you know, the big question is like, do I have to tithe to Hope Brooklyn? I'm going to get emails from the council, but no. <laughs> okay? Where, wherever the Lord leads you and whatever percentage, but I will say if you believe in the mission and vision of what we want to build here at Hope Brooklyn, partner with us. Let's put it together for the ministry context to be able to reach the people outside. That's why we do things like Extending Hope. It's like, yeah, the numbers might seem down right now, but we want to be able to continue to support the work that God is doing outside. We want to continually give of ourselves to make sure that our church and our heart is facing outward.